This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. The Blitz 1170 stream is brought to you by Duck Creek Casino, your hometown casino. I, I apologize. I was just reading <laughs> maybe one of the I don't know why I'm shocked by anything anymore, but I, I'm actually on Dogs HQ right now on on three. So let's just let's bring in Jake Rowe right now, who's the senior editor. Jake, I was laughing because I, I guess I had missed this when I was scrolling through earlier, but the story about Eric Ainge calling Stetson Bennett a punk <laughs> on on his radio show. It reeks so much of something that we went through just over the border here in Arkansas with a baseball player uh, last year where a, where a radio show host lost his mind on one of the better players on the team. I'm like, why do we do stupid stuff like this all the time? Why do we feel the need to just drag kids through the mud when you don't really know them personally or anything else at all? It's just so dumb. Um, and not only that, I mean... It, you choose that moment to call him that after what we just witnessed, what he did in the fourth quarter and the season that he's had in general. I don't know why we feel the need to be the look at me type people as radio show hosts, but uh, I guess I'll put Eric Ainge in that category now as well. Yeah. I mean, here's the way I think about it. Um, so Eric Ainge was in, was a, a starting quarterback for an SEC, you know, prominent SEC program, a program that was then, you know, in, in much better shape and in much held in much higher regard than it is right now. And he th- – there were pressures there, and there were pressures there that probably contributed to the, the stuff he got into, uh, you know, the, the addictions that he has talked about. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not trying – I don't want to get personal with him, even though it's kind of frustrating to hear him get personal with a guy like Stetson Bennett. Uh, but he's 10 years older, and he went through all those pressures and all those things. And the only thing you can think of as a full-grown adult is to call a kid a punk because he's because he's you know got a good story and people talk about him a lot. Like I, I don't I don't get it. I mean I, I don't I understand like wanting Georgia to lose. I understand like having Stetson Bennett fatigue. I don't understand like personally insulting the kid. And and not only that, but for somebody to have kind of gone through what he went through, Eric Ainge, as far as beating addiction and. And, uh, and, and, you know, kind of a close call with the law there and, and stuff. If you read up on him, you'll understand it. Um, and, and, you know, to, to, call, to call Stetson Bennett, somebody that hasn't really, you know, stepped out or, or, or veered off the, uh, the straight and narrow, really, since he's been at Georgia, a punk, uh, that's also – there's also some irony there, too. So Yes, yeah, so I, I, that's what I was confused about. So a few years ago, you'll remember this, when when Baker Mayfield was here and the wild last year of Baker Mayfield's run at Oklahoma where he had the Ohio State plant the flag issue, he had the he had the grab his crotch at the Kansas game. Like there were elements, right, of Baker that if you're an old head, you might have said and used the term punk. As a matter of fact, it was used a lot. I can't remember, though, a moment of Stetson Bennett where anything even remotely close has happened to that in terms of just game. Well, I think I think ESPN would do him a big favor if they quit showing that mic drop thing that he did against uh, the one thing he did. I think it was against LSU. That's um, it? He did kind of look over to the sideline and did like a mic drop. Um, 
you know, I, I've always been a big Baker fan. Um, you know, I, I very much enjoyed watching him play, watching exactly. him warm up, watching him stir it up prior to the Rose Bowl a couple of years, a few years ago. Uh-huh. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and, and just that whole lead in with him being sick and everything. Somebody reminded me of that the other day. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I can see that. Baker was brash. Yes. You know, Baker was, you know, he, he kind of had a little bit of it to him in terms of like, you know, I'm going to flip you off and then beat you. Um, Stetson doesn't really do that. You know, he, Stetson just kind of, I mean, I'm sure he's probably, he comes across to me sometimes, you know, in terms of, of, of his, he comes across to me sometimes as a little cocky, but God, how can you not be, you know, how can you, you it's not like you just, you know, slump your shoulders and, and go Eeyore and do the things that, that he's done at 5'10", you know, 190 pounds, or, you know, probably probably more like 175, 180, but still, I mean, you just don't do that. So, I mean, I think that that's kind of makes him who he is, and, you know, he's just kind of a, you know, but but in no way is he a bad kid or, or, or deserving of being called a punk. And, and to me, it's just more of kind of where the shot came from. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, the shots are going to come, but, but, you know, a former quarterback that's been through it all, that's been through hell and back, thinks to just call a kid with a clean nose, uh, yeah, no, no pun intended, a clean nose with, <laughs> with that. I mean, that's just weird. So I'm a diehard Tennessee fan. This is my producer, Matt. He is a, uh, he's a, he, as a matter of fact, he's wearing his Vols hat yeah. right now. So, But I'm from middle Georgia <laughs> and I love the Stetson Bennett story. And so whenever Eric right. Ainge called him a punk, I was like, uh, you're, you're out of line there, bro. I'm not going to back you up. But, but Jake, I think the point that you're trying to make, right, is uh, one, I want my quarterback that's got a little bit of that to him, right? Yeah, he's got to be he's, cocky. He's used no that to overcome, right, the physical aspects of his game on that. And two, uh, uh, like, Stetson to me has been nothing more than a F around and find out type guy. I love that about yeah. him, right? For everyone that doubts him, and there's been plenty of doubt that's been happening. I don't need to tell you that. And every time through here, getting ready to potentially win a second national championship, people have done find out at the end of the day. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is um, you know, Georgia's won now. Georgia has won uh, 28 of its last 29 games over the past two seasons. Georgia, if you take that all the way back to a four-game winning streak year before, they've won 32 of their last 33. Um, it's it's a, it's an incredible tear, and Stetson Bennett has been the starting quarterback for a lot of it. I mean, the vast majority of it. And it wasn't until it wasn't until that that Peach Bowl where he didn't even play that great. Like he didn't even play that great for most of it. I'd say for probably at least forty five percent of it, maybe maybe a little more. He didn't even play that great. But you had Georgia fans. I'm not talking about people outside. You had Georgia fans kind of like, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, he won a national championship and threw two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. But, you know, he hasn't done this. Well, he did this, and then he hasn't been the starter. And then you know, he comes into this season, he's, he's probably going to throw for 4,000 yards. He's already thrown for 3,000. Um, you know, during the middle of the season, it was, yeah, but he's not throwing touchdown passes because Georgia was, you know, scoring from inside the five on the regular. And then – it was. It wasn't until it, ultimately they all got ticked off. Every box got checked off over the past two years, except for yeah. But but can he bring us back? Can he bring us back if we're down late? Can can he win a? Can he bring us back in a shootout? Yeah, he can now. So I don't think there's anything left. And he's got. A, he's going to get one game. 
he's going to get one one game after checking off all the boxes at Georgia, despite the fact that he's won a national championship game 15 games ago. It's like you keep moving the goalposts, right? You just keep right. moving them back for everything that you do, and that is a deadly trap and deadly game to play. How much of the Brock Bowers is underutilized also plays into this as well, whether it's a whether it's a Stetson thing, whether it's a Todd Monken thing, uh, how much of that plays into that, and what has those conversations been like here over this season? Well, I mean, I, listen, Brock Bowers has been Georgia's pressure point. You know, every team's got one. Yep. And, you know, I think in the NFL – with illegal contact rules and things of that nature, I think it's a little easier to kind of force the ball to somebody, right? I think it's, you know, kind of easier to kind of, you know, say, all right, listen, we're going to get, uh, you know, we're going to get DeAndre Hopkins the football. Or we're going to get, uh, you know, I, I can't think of a great wide receiver, right? a Cooper Cup or somebody like that, the, the ball. Well, Brock Bauer is a little different. College rules are a little different. And that's the pressure point. And Todd Munkin, you know, a lot of times you'll see early on in the game, they're going to target him. You know, they're going to get it to him. And they're going to see kind of how the def- defense reacts. And then they'll go from there. And the teams that have tried to play him more straight up and man up on him, those teams have really paid for it. And then up teams that have had kind of a plan for it, Georgia's found a way to get him involved and make an impact with him. But he hasn't been kind of the putting up the big numbers. I think that's why – I think we've got an interesting thing kind of brewing here for the national championship game, and it's that Todd Munkin has another pressure point now, and it's Arian Smith. Because Arian Smith, I could – listen, man, we wrote about this kid for a couple of years now. He stayed hurt. And this is a 10, 100 meters guy. Um, you know, we, he has stayed hurt. He has he's suffered a broken leg. He's had an ankle procedure. He's had two knee procedures. He hasn't lost a step because you saw him in the, in the uh, Peach Bowl just kind of torch Tennessee. Well, now – you know, you saw – I mean, not Tennessee. I'm sorry, I've got it on – got something different on my mind. You saw him torch uh, Ohio State. Uh, well, you saw there late in the game uh, on the on the long pass to Kiaris Jackson, uh, Ohio State was overplaying Arian Smith on that play. They were officially at that point worried that he was just going to torch him. And he did actually beat his man, but there was safety help over the top. And when that happened, Kiaris Jackson was open 35 yards, you know, to set up the game-winning touchdown. So, you know, all that said – I want to – Georgia's had a hard time getting healthy at the pass catcher position. I mean, even Lad McConkey's missed a ton of practice this year. And uh, Brock Bowers has kind of been that guy that seems to have felt like, more often than not, let's shut him down and see what else happens. And Georgia's been able to get it right without having to depend on Brock Bowers. So I want to talk a little bit about Ohio State for just a moment in that uh, incredible semifinal game. Uh, going into that game, I said this on the air. I said, so wait a minute, you mean to tell me that the number one seed gets rewarded with freaking Ohio State? Uh, and what I meant by that was if there's any team that has the ability to use uh, athletes and maybe not – I mean, if there's if there's a, a group of teams in the country, right, that you would compare athletes to, Ohio State's definitely in the conversation – so I thought Ohio State had to find a way to turn this into a track meet. And they still did, and they still ended up coming up short. Now, some of that might be on Ryan Day and his boneheaded decision, my opinion, at the end of the game uh, in order not to try to get closer, and the kid missed a kick. But the story is Georgia still won. Ohio State got what they wanted in turning into into a track meet. They still didn't have enough to close the game out. Yeah, I'm going to defend Ryan Day on that last drive because okay. – they ran, they ran it on first down. They lost the yard, and then you're like, all right, man, I got C.J. Stroud, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's let C.J. Stroud do this thing because that's, that's the girl 
uh, he's not. That's the guy. Okay, girl that you took that brought you to the dance. Yes. Okay, that was that's who you went with, and I, and I'm I'm with him on that. They got two of the best reps of Keely Ringo, um, you know, in in crunch time that that you'll see. I mean, he was in tight coverage twice. They tried to go at him twice. One was a almost a pick, and the other one was a throwaway. Uh, but but I mean, I knew going into that game, it wasn't necessarily the team George was playing; it was the circumstance. And when you, if you want to play, if you want to play an extremely talented football team, which you're going to play this time of year, mind you, uh, if you're going to play one, you definitely don't want to play one that is pissed off and simultaneously like you know it just fell on the top of its head from a 40 foot drop and got up without an injury and is ready to go, you know? And that was one of the things that, that I thought that Ohio state kind of had two things working for it. It had a new lease on life and it was, and it was pissed off at the same time. And those are two, that's a dangerous combination. They went out there, they let it all hang out. They got a few breaks early in the game. Georgia forces a fumble and runs it out of bounds or, or blow, you know, shoots it out of bounds. And uh, Georgia throws one right to them. Stetson does. Uh, you know, it's they. You know, Georgia kind of shot itself in the foot there early. Ohio State took every advantage, and then you know, I think kind of late, uh, I think Ohio State ran out of gas a little bit, um, especially on the defensive end. They just couldn't get the stops they were getting in the third quarter, and uh, you know, it, it went the way it did. But I was super impressed with C.J. Stroud. You know, I think that that you know, I, I'm a Heisman voter, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I'm ashamed to admit I didn't have him on either Heisman ballot either year. And, uh, and and I'm ashamed to admit that because I think he I think I got that wrong. He's a fantastic football player, and I should have had him on there because <laughs> he is uh, he's up there with one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen in person. And I've seen Baker, I've seen Joe Burrow. That's probably the best, Joe Burrow. But uh, but I've seen Bryce Young a couple times. But but CJ's up there. You got to feel like I do because I'm a Heisman voter as well. And I had CJ Stroud uh, second, but I left Max off of my ballot. Like I I had a tough time with three honestly and but max was in the conversation but i didn't put him in my top three and i kind of uh look back on that now and i'm like right. yeah i probably shouldn't have done that one thing that did stand out before i talk about tcu just uh briefly is i felt like that georgia controlled the game in the trenches especially on offense uh to a large degree i thought there were times back there where stetson looked like that he could not only light a cigarette and move around in the pocket but maybe smoke an entire pack on a couple of those uh i thought that uh they used their their physical prowess uh enough and control that game in in the trenches uh, to kind of set that tone for them offensively. And even in, even when they started running the football a, a little bit more to get themselves back in the game and tie it up at a time, I just felt like that, that that was an area where you could tell that Ohio State was a little overmatched trying to go up against that offensive line from Georgia. Yeah, a little bit. And, and I think eventually they started – I think one of the reasons you saw the fourth quarter happen the way it did was because Georgia executed kind of poorly in the third quarter – when Ohio State tried to come up and stop that run. Because you're right, it's really weird. There is, it's a kind of a culture thing at Georgia. It's a Kirby Smart thing. They've done it several times. They've done it when they've been elite at running back, and they've been done it when they're just good at running back, which is now, is sometimes when they fall behind early in a the game, they'll just say, all right, we're going to run our way back into it. And, and they did. And, and that was what was kind of crazy about the way they got into that, back into that game after they were down 21, uh, 21-7. Um, but, yeah, Georgia, Georgia's good up front. I mean, I, I had a stat this morning. Um, Georgia has a chance to become the first team in the, in the 15-game era in the college football playoff era to uh, finish the season 
um, with uh, fewer than 10 sacks, with single-digit sacks. Uh, they've given up nine. Uh, if, they, if they can shut TCU out, no, no super hard task, but not an easy task based on what we saw against Michigan. They, they got after, uh, they got after uh, J.J. McCarthy pretty hard. But, um, you know, they're right there with Georgia 30 sacks on the season, kind of 70th in the country. It's not that big. So if Georgia can somehow pick a, pitch a sack shutout against uh, TCU, they'll have kind of accomplished something that, uh, that no team's done in the, in the college football playoff era. Yeah, I saw that stat earlier today, and I need to go back and look because uh, Tulsa, believe it or not, was one of those teams since '09 that's also done that as well. Right, I need yep. to go check. Yeah, Tulsa, I believe it was Tulsa, uh, Boise State, and Air, and Air Force. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, and i got to go check to see what year that was for Tulsa. I'll, I'll double-check on that. Uh, last thing for me is I'm fascinated by this game um, for, for many reasons, but one of them I think that really stands out to me is – I've, Kirby's talked a lot about uh, what has led to kind of his evolution and how they've and and how he learned to defend the hurry up no huddle spread. Um, this is what th- this style that essentially TCU is playing with is kind of what has forced Kirby Smart to evolve uh, at a period of time. Um, and I can't wait to see how they end up matching up with each other because I keep hearing the same thing from coaches and also from uh, guys that cover teams that play against TCU. And it's, you know, we we underestimated them a little bit uh, in a way in terms of size and of speed and of strength. Uh, but they do present some interesting issues with the way that they play for Georgia. That's why I think I'm excited about this game, just to see that style that forced him to evolve. I think this might be the fastest football team Georgia's played all year. I mean, I, I really do. I think TCU – listen, I watched them against Michigan, and I, I would say of the four teams in the playoff, Michigan was easily probably the slowest. Uh, I watched Michigan last year in person – I didn't think, you know, that was one of the th- my things is, you know, I knew Michigan wanted a chance at Georgia bad, but I, I, I knew that they probably didn't want what they think they wanted because it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, that's just kind of a 10-pound hammer and a 5-pound hammer or, a, you know, 10 and an 8, whatever you want to call it. There's just one hammer that's just a little bit bigger and, and more effective, and they're, they're built so similarly. Uh, but TCU's different. TCU gave Michigan problems. Georgia's built kind of like Michigan. I think Georgia's faster. Georgia's more athletic on d- defense and and can kind of do some things, um, you know, and, and that that Michigan doesn't do all that well uh, defensively. Um, but but ultimately, I, I think TCU's extremely fast. And and, and I think Tennessee maybe uh, is right there. Maybe the the only team that Georgia's played Tennessee from a, at least from an offensive standpoint uh, may you know be as fast as TCU, but. TCU can run. They they play together. Sonny Dykes, man, I'm telling you, the dude looks like an owl. And I think I think like there's just some DNA, there's some bird of prey DNA in that man or something because the way he's just come in there and and just attack everything. I love the guy. I really do. I can't wait to talk to him on Wednesday when he's we get great. to LA. You'll love him. He's, he's great. I, I can't wait. Yeah. yeah, it's it's um. You know, uh, you know, Mike Pete, Mike Leach, rest in peace, was was one of the coaches that I hadn't ever had a chance to kind of stand in front of, hold a recorder, and just see if I could get something out of him. I, I, he's not going to be the same way, but I can't wait to just you know see what Sonny Dykes has to say about this game, um, and and it's it's going to be a it's going to be a lot of fun. I really think so. I mean, I think even if Georgia comes out there and wins twenty one uh, twenty by twenty one points, or 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 you know twenty four or seventeen. Or if it's a three-point game, I think it's going to be as exciting as all get out because 
you know, if Georgia jumps up, you know, 17 nothing, 20 to nothing, I expect TCU to have some fireworks. They're going to have haymakers to throw until they're, they collapse on the turf because that's just the way they're put together. And uh, I respect it. I've watched it all year long. The hypnotoads, I mean, just cried laughing at that stuff. I mean, it's amazing. It's fun. And I'm, I'm really glad to see TCU in a game like this. Jake, I appreciate it, man. Great stuff. Keep up the great work, and I'll uh, make sure to check out all of your stuff leading up to the game and then post as well uh, there at uh, Dogs HQ, part of uh, On3. Uh, great to have you on, man. I really uh, thank you for your time and what I know is a busy week. Hey, if there's anybody who has an extensive experience in Southern California with fish taco spots, hit me up on Twitter at Ooh. Rowe, at Jake M. Rowe. Uh, I, I, I want fish tacos. I want to, I want to probably eat fish tacos like six straight meals. How so. far are you willing to drive is the question. Well, we're flying into San Diego tomorrow. So okay. I'm, I'm coming straight up the coast. I'm Oceanside, La, La Jolla, uh, you know, um, all that stuff. Uh, San Juan Capistrano going to go everywhere. So I, I, I'll, I'll eat fish tacos. Okay. All right. So if you're flying in to San Diego – um, here's what I suggest when right. you're, when you go up the five, okay. And you get, cause this is, you're not quite to Oceanside yet. When you're at Carlsbad, there right. is, there is a joint at Carlsbad that has some great fish tacos and I can't think of it right now, but there's not a ton of them that are right there, but man, it's, it it's right next to, if you find the old part of downtown of Carlsbad, I mean, it is right catty cornered right there on the beach. You can't miss it. Uh, big public okay. spot, but I'm telling you that that joint made my toes curl. The last time that I had fish tacos right there, it was pretty sweet. Awesome. Can't wait, man. Thanks awesome. for the Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Have fun. All right. That's Jake Rowe. I don't know if it's Harbor fish. I don't know. See, I looked up. I'd have to tacos. see. A, I'd have to see a picture of it because it is literally like a stone building with a panoramic view, and it's right there, off of downtown in Carlsbad. I'm sure he'll find some good fish I, tacos. Yeah, I, they, they're ev- well, one, they're everywhere out there too. You know, they just are. I don't blame him. I mean, it's kind of hard to get a good like. Fish taco in Athens. I wish I could remember what beach that was because I really don't feel. I just know that it's off of downtown. Yeah. By the way, I'm not knocking Athens food scene. It's it's elite, but never really got try to find. Actually, I don't know. Takaria tsunami is pretty good. Uh, it's not Joe's Crab Shack. Wait a minute. <laughs> Carlsbad has a Joe's Crab Shack? That just doesn't seem right. Dude, it's well, it's the same way that Fort Walton Beach, Florida has a Joe's Crab Shack. Come you're like, on. what are we doing here? Come on. And then it's packed, and you're like, what are we doing? And listen, Why? yes, I'm sorry, but if you can see the ocean from your Joe's Crab Shack, shame on you. Shame on you. Agreed. What are you doing? Agreed. I'm kind of blown away by that right now. <laughs> Joe's Crab Shack. Get out of here. <laughs> Not in Carlsbad. Man, that was a fun trip. We flew in with a roughnecks, Matt. I actually, I, let me take that back. We flew to Arizona, then we're on a bus from Scottsdale and bust to San Diego. And uh, 
trying to think of where did where did we stay? It wasn't actually in Carlsbad, but it was somewhere close to that. And we were there for like three days. And we're like, all right, here's the rental car. Here's the keys. Have at it. It was a fun trip. Was good really fun good trip. little vacation. It, but I was still like technically working. But you were also eating fish tacos and going <laughs> to the beach. Yes, I absolutely was. <laughs> All right, uh, it's 2.35. Let's take a timeout. Come back with more next here on the Blitz 1170, where we will continue our discussion regarding uh, Oklahoma State, the transfer portal. Uh, at some point, Matt, we need to get someone on to talk about the Under Armour All-American game that we watched virtually like every Sooner like playing that bad boy yesterday. Yeah, I was thinking about maybe reaching out to Chris Hummer because I know he was out there. And Yeah, we'll talk to Hummer. No problem with that whatsoever. Right, I'll, I'll hit him up. I'm sure he'll he'll gladly come on. Always does. Good stuff. All right, it's 2.35. Take a timeout. We'll come back with more next here on the Blitz 1170. Remember, you can text the word CHILLY to 79640. That's a separate number than our text line. CHILLY. 79640 for your chance to win tickets to Friday and Saturday night over at the Lucas Oil Chili Bowl Nationals. Presented by General Tire. With that, two seats Friday and Saturday night. VIP passes to the pit for two people. Infield race experience. Ride inside the pace truck and pictures in good old Victory Lane for one of the most awesome weekends that you will find. Chili Bowl weekend and Chili Bowl Saturday nights and Friday nights here in the city of Tulsa, all from the Blitz 1170 and our good friends, General Tire and the Chili Bowl. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.